In this episode, I am joined by Katarina Falkenberg and Tommy Westland, alchemists, practitioners of Western esotericism, and authors of Alchemy, the Divine Work. Katarina and Tommy recount the history of Western alchemy from Egypt through ancient Greece, the Islamic Golden Age, Renaissance Europe to today, and consider critiques of alchemy as mere proto or indeed pseudoscience. Katerina and Tommy reveal the language of the birds, the hidden language of symbol and intuition used among initiated practitioners. They detail the stages of inner transformation that the alchemist ascends in his quest for spiritual evolution and compares them to the stages of other meditative traditions. Katerina and Tommy also discuss today's changing cultural mores around masculinity and femininity and their implications for the metaphors used by the alchemical tradition to express polarity and the union of opposites. So without further ado, Katharina Falkenberg and Tommy Westland. Katharina Falkenberg and Tommy Westland, welcome to the podcast. Thank, Thank you. you. So happy to be here. Well, I'm so delighted to be talking with you both today to discuss your life and work and also your recently published Alchemy, the Divine Work published for the first time in the English language. And what an achievement it is. Congratulations. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Now, I wonder if you might say something about this book, Alchemy, the Divine Work, how it came to be and what its significance is. Okay. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, uh, it, it came into being in various stages. We had no uh, idea or intention to write a book like this. We started to, uh, we have always written uh, the two of us uh, separately, and uh, we started to write articles for, for a period we had in uh, Swedish, in Swedish, and we started also to work um, uh, with workshops in alchemy and various other traditions, so we had to write things for the workshops and uh, over the years it grows so we realized we can actually compose a book uh, from all of those articles and we composed that first book many many years ago we were extremely happy and satisfied that was a book of 150 pages and uh, then we said okay this is the the uh, the book we now can offer uh, for workshops and courses, but the it lacked many things uh, we realized quite early on. So, and and you obviously realize when someone has written a book and when someone has written fifteen articles and put as separate chapters in a book, there is uh, no co re true coherence. It's no uh, true fluency in it. So uh, we uh, rewrote everything, and in 2015, we were extremely happy to send uh, the book to the printer. And uh, I remember uh, we were in my house then. We smoked cigars, had uh, whiskey, as you always need to do when you send an alchemy book to print. And that night, I woke up like 15, 20 times just realizing, oh, I need to change that. Oh, that was the wrong order of things. Mm. And that book was, was uh, really good in a way, but we completely rewrote everything. So uh, it, it was like 450 pages and we 
didn't keep anything. We rewrote everything based upon all the experiences we had gained through over the years to, uh, working together with courses. And uh, that eventually came out in 2018 in uh, Swedish. Uh, and uh, we felt that this is the, the everything we have to offer. And then uh, the English translation started and uh, we noticed a few lacunas. So we had to include some uh, new 60 pages or something. And uh, now it's uh, <laughs> for <laughs> completed now. <laughs> for now. <laughs> but it's been an ongoing process for, for, for uh, actively writing the book uh, 10 years at least. At least, yeah. Yeah, and uh, the work we did before since 2005 has laid the foundation for it. Fascinating. And I understand there was an initiative to have it translated into English and that that project, it ended up becoming its own great work in a sense. Indeed. Yeah, because so many people were contacting us and you know, they wanted to read it and they started even to try to learn Swedish to read the book. And then a esoteric group started to translate. And in the end, it was two persons left, Chase and Derek. So, yeah. And obviously they, they were fluent in the in esoteric language. They had to learn the language of the birds uh, to understand uh, the... Uh, play of words that we used in the Swedish uh, edition and try to, to first understand that and then we together with them try to do similar things in uh, in the English more profane language. Okay, you've used the first cool alchemical term, language of the birds. Yeah. <laughs> Could you say a little bit about what you mean by that? Yes, you can say that the um... The alchemical language is metaphors, but it's also, you know, um, the audio language. So when you say something, it can seem like a bird whispering or singing, and then you can uh, interpretate it into alchemical symbols. So it's a quite uh, intuitive language, you can say. And uh, it's Fulcanelli also, the famous alchemist, so, who said that we have to talk the language of the birds. And um, yeah, what do you say about the language of the birds? Yeah, <laughs> like you said, uh, and it's also a play on words where you sometimes, uh, as alchemy, as all Gnosis traditions, require you to uh, study and work to unveil, uh, unveil uh, the deeper understanding. Uh, you can sometimes, you can write something extremely simple and plainly, but then you won't understand that this is an important key. But if you play with words, so, so for example, C and tree, uh, uh, two words that are used extremely much in uh, alchemical symbolism, uh, just because the English words sounds very similar, you, you can uh, see that they have a, a relationship. And uh, many of the poems that we have written and uh, various stuff we have translated from, especially the old uh, German alchemists love to play on uh, words. So some they, they wrote a word and that's, it's pronounced like another word. And 
Obviously for us today, we don't really know that because that word has been out of use since the 1600s. So we had to dig deep into the old uh, uh, <laughs> old books to, to, to understand that, oh, this, this word that actually means this sounds like that. And that means the royal oak, which in alchemy is significant when you have to produce the salt or something like that. So we want uh, to uh, wanted to keep with the alchemical tradition, and that's the way we we teach also mm. to to we, we never aim to to speak in in uh, we always aim to to speak the truth, but the truth has to be uh, clothed in illustrations and symbols so that it's not only taken as the exact meaning of the word but you understand the bigger concept and context of it yeah and you can also say that because of you want to speak to the heart or to the to your soul so if you you use the language of the birds you go beyond the intellect and go beyond feelings to get to this you know, soul language or heart language. That's also why. It's very interesting. When we talk later about the history of alchemy, I think we'll we'll see that it has, uh, in your presentation, been around a long time and traveled through different cultures, yes. Egypt, Greece, to the Islamic world, and so on. And one thinks of those cultures as being having quite different sets of symbols and quite different sets of, uh, I suppose, you know, gods and goddesses and that sort of thing. On the other hand, one could see them as having some sort of continuity or relationship. Is it necessary when you speak to the heart with this language of birds that the person you speak to has a certain cultural background? Is it necessary that they share the same source of symbolic references, even perhaps latently, uh, that you're using in the language of the birds? Could somebody from a very different place or a very different time still be reached with the language of the birds? Or does it require a kind of rooting in this winding tradition of symbols and so on, going back through so many different cultures and also through so many different languages? Mm. Yeah. I think you, you can reach people from every culture because it's it's, it's a pansophic tra tradition uh, but then when you start to study and try to understand uh, uh, alchemy then it's good to we are working in the western tradition but we can also work in eastern tradition and then it's uh, it's good to have your background but Primarily, it's it's a um, tradition that is pansophic and go goes beyond all cultures, uh, languages, and everything. I would say. Yes, I, I agree, and I think that the one of the things that make alchemy differs from many of the other esoteric traditions and religions is that most esoteric traditions and religions are based upon one person that uh, meditates or, or uh, performs a ritual and has this uh, huge experience or, or this uh, state of consciousness and then trying to understand that, trying to uh, explain it and trying to learn it uh, to other people. So this one person becomes like the guru 
uh, and is the main deciphering person of the tradition. Whereas alchemy is based uh, since time uh, primordial of observing nature and studying nature and uh, learning to mirror nature and, and see how the world outside of us is a mirror of the world within us. And regardless of where we're living uh, in, in this world, we all, I mean, even in New York, you could say that you have some kind of nature. <laughs> we, we all can study the stars. We can see the, the uh, meditate upon the sun. We can see the, the spring coming. We, we know, the, experience the heat of the, the summer and uh, the decay of the fall and, and the death in the winter. So in, in many of the countries in the world, there are at least two, three or four uh, seasons and alchemy is based upon the interpretation of how these seasons and, and the uh, nature going from birth to life to death decay to rebirth how that's a cycle of life and that unites all of us regardless of hmm. skin color regardless of uh, religious belief uh, or uh, non-religious belief we can all observe the same uh, phenomenon and uh, the only thing alchemy teaches is that we can integrate that and we can see how that is mirrored within us then whether we want to do this from a religious uh, perspective where we in the western tradition use christian symbolism but uh, also greek symbolism egyptian symbolism or you, you want to do it from a Wicca tradition or from the uh, Eastern practices, etc. That doesn't matter because the, the, the blueprint is nature. The other uh, religious ideas are just way to interpret and to mediate this inward or outward going experience with your own uh, belief system. Fascinating. Thank you. Katarina, you used the word intuition there's an intuitive aspect of the to the language of birds and i think sometimes alchemy is often seen we'll look at popular ideas about alchemy and you point to some of them in in your book and uh, correct some of those misconceptions sometimes i think alchemy is seen as pouring through old texts in latin or arabic whatever the case may be and finding catalogs of correspondences mm. between symbol and meaning, or a string of symbols, perhaps, element, God, quality, etc. And then perhaps there's some uh, application of that. So what's the balance between an intuitive working with the language of the birds with symbols and so on, mm. and a studied looking for in grimoires and so on, fixed catalogued correspondences? I think it's good to, to do both because it's uh, it's a tradition that you have to go into yourself, into the mystery of being human, into the mystery of God. But it's also good to have this logos aspect that you you know the tradition, you know the ones that that has been working before you, you know the old texts. So for us, I think it's it's both. It's 
we say it, it's Sofia, you have to experience, you have to do it in creative processes, but it's also logos and you have to know your tradition. And when you combine them, you have this uh, good uh, light within that when you combine the light of Sofia and the light of so logos, you have this uh, primordial light. And that's the same with alchemy, I think. So you have to to both feelings and, uh, and intellect and both above and below and both masculine and feminine and also intellect and imagination. And when you combine them, you have a good foundation to, to proceed in alchemy, I think. At least it's our way. It is, it is. And, mm -hmm. and you, you could see, see that, that some, some of this, this means that is uh, has been used and utilized for so long so it's part of the uh, it has become part of the archetypical world like uh, today it's uh, friday right yeah it is friday which obviously from the nordic tradition is the day of freya mm -hmm. and uh, from the hermetic tradition is the day of venus and uh, we are definitely embracing that is it is both Freya and Frey and it's uh, the day of Venus it's day of love it's a day when we don't have to work any longer if we have a five day working week uh, and that doesn't say that Friday is Venus but uh, people have have uh, utilized the uh, resemblance between Friday and Venus for extremely long time from the Grimoire tradition and and uh, much longer before that. So uh, alchemy is, is also the the art of understanding the archetypes and, and being able to utilize them without being having them as a dogma. If we wanted to uh, make a Venus elixir, Obviously, Friday is a really good day for working with it, but we can all obviously embrace Venus love any kind of day. And it's also we have, you know, we have had uh, educations for many years in uh, in alchemy, and you can also see some people really want to to understand, to read, to go by the intellect, by the mind, and then from there they can go into the intuitive or emotional or ritual and some people you they just want to know and feel and do rituals and and live the tradition but after a while then they can go back and come into to the uh, to study their tradition so it's uh, it's it's both ways and it's also always uh, mostly a manly or a female way to go into to the tradition i think or anyway, it used to be, not anymore. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Because I have priestess traditions also where they, they want to do it. They want to feel, experience, do it out in life. And then have to push to, to take the tradition and read and study. And it used to be a more, um, you know, I have hard work, but now people want to, to know the tradition because they have to, to know it, to express it, and also to hit the skydda. Protect. protect the tradition and you said it used to be do you think do you yeah. mean by that yeah that I, I i realized i said that it used to be because i i think people have changed mm. the last um, 
five years. Uh, yeah, and it's not so uh, because the society have, have changed in this masculine and feminine and men and women. So I think also when we study these spiritual traditions, people have changed. They want to be anyway in, in our community, but they want to have both both ways always you know above and below within and without uh, the masculine and the feminine and the you know the goal in alchemy is the hermaphroditic child so it's an androgen perspective so yeah it, it's been changing the last five years i will would say or you have changed or maybe <laughs> <laughs> but, but but I agree. We 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 notice a huge difference in in the participants uh, in, in our workshops and and educations, and uh, uh, the 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 males tend to come in with a more intuitive way, mm. and the females uh, come with, with a more uh, outspoken intellectual understanding. Mm. Mm. I'd be very interested to hear you your thoughts on on this change in the last five years. Do you have further thoughts or perhaps even speculations about about that change? What's caused it? Uh, what are its characteristics? What are its implications? Since it's it was a revelation to ourselves right now, so <laughs> it's just speculations. But I think the, uh, you know, we have had this Me Too movement uh, when we see differently on on being a man and being a woman, I think that has been uh, the first step to this uh, change. And also, of course, this pandemic when people are, you know, going behind the surface and going within, and we all are um, emotion, emotion and intellect, and female and masculine. So we get more and more in touch with uh, the deeper levels of being a human, I think. What do you think? Yeah, uh, I agree with that. And, and uh, having worked in uh, Sweden's esoteric scene since the early 1990s, uh, obviously mm. it used to be uh, for a very long time. And, and I used to work in, in uh, Stockholm's biggest esoteric bookshop that uh, the the uh, males ca came and bought the uh, logos intellectual books whereas uh, women wanted to have the more uh, they, they wanted to to emphasize the intuitive and emotional aspect much more and, and i think we have come to crossroads now uh, relating to the things that katarina said that that uh, uh, the the definition of what 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 makes a man man and what makes a woman a woman and we always we never talk about men and men and women we talk about the masculine and feminine principle and that uh, like Carl Jung uh, described it we all have our own anima and animus we have a, a, our own inner masculine and feminine principles and. Uh, I think the crossroads uh, now is that uh, they are meeting each other in a different way and that uh, the idea that, that a man should be the huge provider and go out and kill animals, etc., is uh, something uh, 
romantic we see on movies and, and the woman is, is the the household provider and, and, and takes care of the children that's also part of the movie tradition uh, more mm. and and uh, regardless of, of sex people want to uh, explore themselves and their relationship with the universe and creation and uh, see the 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 archetypical pattern that has led us to this point where uh, men and women are more equal, although we still have too much work to do in, also in that respect. But but I think the esoteric traditions have, have to some extent always been forerunners. And we can see that, that uh, th this will have positive implications in society as a whole. You mentioned that the symbol of alchemism or one of alchemy rather the one of the key ideas of alchemy is this androgyne child mm. and this um working with polarities and opposites and unifying them and so on and working with them in different ways and this masculine feminine sort of archetypal duality uh drawn from that male female metaphor which i assume would have been assumed throughout much of human thought but it seems today there are you're describing it changes in what it means to be a man or a woman or are those categories even really relevant to what it means to be a person and is that binary all there is there are theories and ideas now quite mainstream i think that that sort of an idea of a binary is not even really worth considering anymore so i'm curious if you think that has implications for the use of masculine and feminine as a sort of as a sort of stock symbol for polarities i mean it's all through alchemy yeah. um do you think that there may be a time when that symbol becomes uh, not so effective because that sense of duality, sexually speaking, uh, is less prominent in the minds of, of a culture? Could that be the case? Mm. I think, I think it, it can be a new polarity because uh, we need to to powers to get the energy to to move on, and you know we have the darkness, we have the light, and then we have creation. So I think the polarity in itself is not the problem; it's the battery for life. But I think this male and female polarity can be outdone in the future, and hopefully it will. <laughs> It will because it's uh, causing so much uh, problems in this world. If we we try to stay with a dog, and it's not it's not useful anymore. But I think the polarity in itself is uh, a beautiful thing, because when you you know we have the dialogue also. It's also polarity in the, the in the philosophical and alchemical tradition. One people say one thing and the other another thing, and then we you know get together and then we can have a new new uh, revelation so i think this this will go on but maybe as you say the female and male will disappear 
and we have a new hermaphrodite and another thing <laughs> coming together, maybe. In in uh, in our book, obviously, alchemy is based upon the uh, realization of the opposites in creation uh, as fire and water, as heaven and earth, as within and without, as spirit and matter, as the masculine and the feminine. But uh, the more you work with advanced alchemical teachings, and I would dare to say, regardless of tradition, uh, you will start to have another duality, which is uh, the human and deity. And uh, uh, then you will have the, the duality of this universe and the other universes, etc. Mm. So, so uh, every time you have uh, an alchemical marriage where you uh, unite your own anima and animus, your own masculine and feminine, and you unite your, your above with the below, you unite your spirit with matter, with the body, you have to unite with your holy guardian angel or your uh, personification of divinity. And from that sense, you uh, unite this universe with the uh, black hole of th this universe, etc., etc. So uh, uh, you, there will always be uh, dynamic opposites for us to realize, purify, integrate and marry and transcend but hopefully the the idea of male and female being opposites uh, will uh, soon uh, change uh, to the realization that we are humans well that's interesting so the principle of polarity is fundamental in alchemy mm. but the use of the metaphor of male and female or masculine and feminine is not fundamental. Yeah, I would say so, yeah. But this is our opinion. Sure. Uh, because you just because you need the polarity to, to uh, evolve and to create. So that's why we have to have these principles. But um, we have to move forward and uh, see what's What's, what's in the society right now and what's important to work and what's important to, to unite. So it's still important to unite masculine and feminine and that's why we still work with it, I think. Uh, but it's not the end of, of this uh, evolution or transformation or, or transmutation to, to being divine human beings. Interesting. I'll ask one more question about it, um, and then we, we can move on. Tommy, you said, hopefully, you hope that this idea of, I think your words were the male and female and masculine and feminine being opposites. Yes. Uh, is moved beyond. I'm curious what you mean by that and why you said hopefully. I think that uh, uh, why I said it hopefully is that uh, I'm, and I think we are of the strong belief that we have a masculine and feminine side within us. Every human being does. The problem becomes when uh, society and, and our belief in archetypes wants to define that this inner aspect must have this outer quality or outer manifestation. And that's part of what entraps and enslaves 
people throughout history that we uh, are to being taught that you have to behave like this because you are born with this sex. You have to behave like that because you're born with that sex. And I think we can mm. uh, see that here in Sweden just uh, uh, for the last uh, years that uh, our youngsters have a completely different opinion where, where it's completely uh, not only allowed, but, but it's no prob problem at all if you have... Uh, uh, a name that traditionally was defined as a female name or as a male name, and uh, your whole idea that you have to be identified by by whether you have a penis or vagina is, is uh, obsolete. And uh, they are sort of, we, we can see them growing up with a, a deep alchemical understanding that it's not the uh, being male or being female, it's being a human person, being able to express both your masculine and your feminine aspects. And androgenity also. Yeah. Whatever you, you feel that you are. So uh, why I said hopefully is that uh, here uh, we see that huge uh, trend coming and, and uh, I believe that that will be something much more common and and. Uh, normal in the ages to come but we also know that every time something like this happens we will have a counter reaction from mm. the the traditionalists uh, or, or or people with religious or philosophical ideas saying that no the dog is like this a man has to be a man a woman has to be a woman and now it's not about a man being allowed to be a woman, we have to teach men to be men and women have to be taught to be women again, which I, I see as, as a counter movement to an inner uh, intuitive uh, transformation taking place, which has just happened to be a true alchemical transformation. But I also think in the esoteric tradition, we always have this, you know, it's a god and then it's a goddess and then it's uh, the alchemical union. But it's the same there. We say that it's it's a polarity, and it can be any polarity. You can have the Egyptian god Anubis together with uh, maybe uh, some solar god, and they are a polarity together and, and can make an alchemical union. And you can have two female uh, goddesses also and make a union. So I think many people also think that in the esoteric tradition, you have to have this god and goddess or masculine and feminine, but you don't have to have it at all. And that's important, uh, I think, for so many people can uh, feel that they are, uh, it's, it's impossible to have a place in this, uh, what you say, circles or esoteric traditions or alchemy and be who you are and find polarities that express your inner polarity, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's very fascinating because it's such a fundamental symbol in alchemy. And yeah. you know, throughout your book, it's not the only symbol by any stretch, but it's a, it's a common one. Mm. And uh, it's interesting to hear your thoughts on that, especially because you had mentioned, uh, Katerina, that you saw things changing in that respect. Yeah. Uh, that's what prompted this line of question uh, questioning. So let's turn to alchemy itself. You point to two common misconceptions in the book, 
about alchemy, and that is that it is a proto-science, a precursor to physical chemistry, that is now therefore outdated and outstripped by our superior understanding of physical chemistry since since those days, or it's a pseudoscience, which has been, I suppose, therefore made redundant by real science, I suppose, would be non-pseudoscience. Science, basically. <laughs> so I'm wondering if you might speak to those two misconceptions, and perhaps, if possible, could you give a short history of alchemy, um, its origins, and how its methods or goals or emphases have changed as it's proceeded through history over these some thousands of years? Yeah, and I think the the second question will perhaps answer the the, the hopefully the first question. So, the history. Mm -hmm. No, move on. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, since uh, our main focus is the the Western tradition, uh, we obviously acknowledge that the Eastern tradition has a longer alchemical tradition than the West has. It's a longer traceable tra tradition. Uh, but we, I'm not an expert in that. Uh, uh, we, we we focused on the Western tradition, and there we can trace the origins to uh, at least to uh, back to Egypt. Uh, and the main thing we have to keep in mind then is that this uh, uh, science with a big uh, capitalized uh, S included both the the uh, transformations and transmutations of matter in relationship to divinity. So uh, the, the art of, of um, coloring, uh, the, the art of coloring was an alchemical art. And they, they saw that uh, the, the, the way we describe it, color is a symbol of the soul aspect. So just being able to color huge sheets or color statues was a, a divine alchemical work. Uh, to make the statues become imbued with the life of uh, divinity or being hosted by the, the gods or goddesses it represented. And the ability to work with gold as, as uh, the most, as, as almost the blood of the Egyptian gods and goddesses uh, uh, in, in manifested in statues. So we have this uh, very, very uh, long and old tradition and the meeting point really becomes in Alexandria where the old goldsmith techniques and the religious beliefs of, of old Egypt merged uh, and met with, with the uh, Greek philosophers. And uh, then we, we see the other huge tradition in alchemy, which is the philosophical idea of uh, being able to speculate the relationship or, or the components of matter of man what is consciousness what is the divinity how can man relate to the divine etc so we have all of this uh, meeting in alexandria and it, in the western world that's where the oldest alchemical uh, treatises and tractates are from and they uh, described like Sosimus uh, described 1800 years ago that this uh, 
great art was given to us by the gods. And it was uh, actually the, the uh, goddess Isis that uh, was being instructed in the art of alchemy by the the uh, by certain angels mm. and that art was then being taught in Egypt and Sosimus uh, stated that uh, it, therefore it has an, an Egyptian side to it and it has a Jewish side to it as uh, Moses and and Maria or Miriam carried out uh, were both initiated and trained in the alchemical tradition and develop that into the Jewish alchemical tradition. And those traditions merged in Alexandria. Uh, so it's a meeting between Egypt, the, the, the Greek Hellenistic uh, world of ideas and philosophies. And then it stretched, stretched uh, through Europe, through the Islamic world when early Christianity uh, tried to uh, burn all the books uh, and uh, manage uh, to burn many of the alchemical books and many of the Greek philosophical texts until they were re rediscovered, mostly through Arabic translations, because the Arabic culture had really flourished and uh, not only learned from the Greek uh, philosophers, but also learned from the uh, Greek, uh, Jewish, and Egyptian alchemists, and uh, developed the alchemical teachings and uh, developed the, the apparatus uh, and, and the lab techniques very much. And that was brought back into the Christian world in the medieval times, late medieval times, and helped instigating the Renaissance, where the Western world again actually saw that we have not only a past, we have a really interesting past that uh, we, we need to bring back into life. And, uh, well, the rest is a short history. That's fascinating. And I'm wondering, do you think that the inner, so to say, uh, spiritual transformational, inner transformational aspects or implications of alchemy were always a part of it? Uh, or at what point did they come into it? Do you think it was the meeting of the Greek philosophy with metallurgic techniques that that link was seen? Or do you think that that link between outer manipulation of matter and inner transformation of uh, of the person was always implied to some degree? When did that when did that come out, do you think? I think it's always been together. Um, and uh, during history, they have been separated, separated. So because alchemy in itself is a union between inner and outer. So it's not alchemy if you just do, you know, herbal tinctures or metallurgy. If you only do that, it's not alchemy. And if you only see alchemy as a um, psychology or inner uh, spiritual tradition, it's not alchemy either because it's inner and outer together. And in my vision, I see it was more together uh, way back in, in history and maybe before all the civilizations also that we now know the, the high cultures. So I think it's been you know separated during time until this day. 
And, and uh, interestingly, uh, Sosimos uh, wrote uh, you know, 1800 years ago that mm. uh, he, he was concerned about the split and division of the understanding of alchemy already back then. And uh, he tried to, to convey the teaching that uh, we work in the laboratory, but what happens there is interesting only in uh, the sense that it reflects the inner uh, transformations and transmutations and he, he says that uh, yeah we work to, towards the we, we want to, to transform and transmute gold in the outer but that only happens as a symbol where our soul becomes a mirror for the divine and we become one with the divine that's the true alchemical meeting but we need to have this outer projection to understand, to sense in our bodies, to sense in our soul and in the spirit how to be able to direct currents and forces and bring it back in. Exhale and inhale. And uh, so from the Western part, that has been the, the opus uh, to make the philosophical gold where uh, an alchemist have in the Western world always said that that's not vulgar gold. It's not the gold you consider to be gold. This is the philosophical gold. It's the living gold. That's something completely different. Although people can and have mistaken that for vulgar gold. So we can see the Western tradition has had a strong implication towards this gold aspect. Whereas Eastern alchemy, they were more interested in the elixir of life how to cure uh, the, the human being from illnesses, both from a physical and from a soul and spiritual perspective. And that aspect obviously was uh, reintegrated also in the Western path. Uh, uh, but but uh, even today, when, when people hear that we are interested in, in doing alchemy, no one talks about the elixir of life. They always say, so can you make gold? Mm. And of course we can. <laughs> we are alchemists and and but i also think it's very you know we we work a lot with herbal alchemy or spagyrics so it's very nice even if you have a strong um, process in the human alchemy with you have all you need in inside the human body but when you work with herbal it's it's very educational also to see the process inside and outside when you do a calcinatio and you burn your your old material and, and some uh, and people can feel this burning heat with inside and the purification it's very nice when they walk uh, walk together inner and outer so they are complementary, but you, I, for us, it's not either or either, it's both. And then we come to your question about the proto-science or the pseudo-science. And uh, alchemy has to some degrees been a proto-science because alchemists uh, uh, wanted to explore creation and uh, wanted uh, to uh, perform the impossible. So they tried out experiments in the laboratory, but they did it from the uh, perspective of wanting to understand creation. They worked with the divine forces. They invoked and prayed to God or to angelic forces. And they saw what happened in their laboratory was an outer reflection of the transformations going on within. 
and thereby Isaac Newton was a great alchemist, although he's now considered to be the uh, father of science, but most of the, his work, and not most, the absolute majority of mm. his work was on alchemy. And that has only been uh, recently published in, in, in the last 10 years or, or something like that, because from the, the, the scientific perspective, uh, they were quite embarrassed that this uh, father of, of science uh, main focus was alchemy. But that's not, for us, that's not difficult to understand. But we also then, if if alchemists have been believed to to be able to transmute led to gold or to make the elixir of life of course that brings uh, people into alchemy that hasn't uh, purified themselves that have no interest in merging with the divine they want to in the best of cases they 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 have learned certain things and they want to believe it themselves and if you can make other people believe that i have achieved this then it's easier for me to believe it as well. Or in the worst case scenario, they just wanted to make money. Uh, so, so the the, uh, the ages are filled with people that have sold the elixir of life in various uh, ways. And, and uh, uh, that doesn't mean that, that some of them actually were done by uh, true alchemists uh, in, in, a, in a good fashion, but the idea that, that we have an elixir that cures all illnesses is perhaps also a metaphor for something else. We can certainly make elixirs that helps us to work with mm. uh, diseases or illnesses or, or imbalances but we also have to work with that elixir and have to do at least as much work within ourselves as the actual elixir is supposed to do from without. You write in the book that one way of seeing modern science is the outer aspect of alchemy, gaining power to influence the outer world without what is essential in alchemy, which is this accompanying inner transformation. They go hand in hand, and you describe it as the alchemist's great fear that people would gain power in the outer world through, I suppose, what we could perhaps would just say is modern science, without linking that increase in power to a more profound spiritual transformation. And in other words, science can be dangerous in the hands of the wrong kind of people. But when do you think that diverged? Isaac Newton evidently was pursuing alchemy as well as what we think of now as science. I mean, I think it's seen almost, isn't it, that science was among what he was doing, and that's the good bit. <laughs> and the rest of it was, you know, he didn't know any better. Yes. It's, it's perhaps seen that way. So when, when did that diverge? And what are its possible implications? Never, I think. It never diverged, because uh... The problem also with, with alchemy and the tradition and Newton is that the, it's uh, been a hidden science or hidden tradition because it's been, you know, Newton, he was uh, threatened by the church. And so many alchemists have, have, have been uh, during time. So I, I think they never, it never diverged. But when uh, the church or some other institution think, 
oh, these are only gold making uh, mans doing, you know, puffing or uh, some things that is not for real, or maybe it's for real and we get the, the money out of it. So it's also a, a, a way of hiding the, the, the inner mystery and the inner mystery is the same as in Eastern alchemy. It's the immortal body, the diamond body. And when you work with that, you get a lot of power uh, within you. And that is threatening to institutions and to society. So I think it's also that's uh, uh, important thing in this idea that it's diverged now or sometime during tradition. It's uh, it's yeah, it's a way of hiding also. Hmm. I agree with that, but but also alchemy, uh, since we can, in the Western uh, tradition, then see what Sosimus wrote, that he had problems with people uh, only seeing the outward aspects of alchemy without understanding that it should mirror the inner implications. We have, uh, throughout uh, history, for 2,000 years at least, seen how certain alchemists or, or mystics have only valued the inner transformation and they disregarded everything outside. And other uh, alchemists and magicians they, or mystics, they have only focused on the outer transformations and transmutations and haven't seen the relationship between the uh, inner uh, processes that happens. And for us, that's... Uh, um, I know... This has happened. I know this happens because people still argue whether the uh, process is within or without, and uh, where, where we think that, uh, it was stated uh, back in the uh, Emerald Tablet of Hermes that if we are alchemists, we have to work with the above and the below, and we have to make them becoming one, uh, and that also entails that the without and the within has to become one. But we have uh, uh, one of the alchemists in Sweden working in, in the 1700s. He, he was a, a lab alchemist and he was actually uh, the last alchemist employed by the Swedish state. Uh, to uh, bring uh, gold into the state so Sweden could buy more uh, army equipment and become this huge superpower that people dreamt of in the 1780s. Uh, so he was a lab alchemist and he was working extremely much with gold. He was also uh, a um, uh, working with the inner theosophical tradition. And uh, he's written a wonderful treatise about the... Uh, inner philosophical stone, uh, which I think, uh, or I know, Adam McLean translated, or it's on Adam McLean's uh, webpage. Uh, the author is uh, August Nordenskjöld. So he wrote this wonderful piece about the inner spiritual transformation uh, th that uh, can take place. But then we also have his diaries and notebooks. So, uh, <laughs> and when he was working with his outer uh, uh, laboratory and he actually managed to blow off uh, part of his house, he couldn't see the relationship between the outer and the inner. Mm -hmm. So so we have the actual diaries and, and his, his uh, 
student is complaining that no we can't increase the fire you just be being impatient and say no 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 we have worked now for a long time and now it's the time to increase the fire and everything blow up mm -hmm. and we could see that oh he blowed up he went back into the stage of negredo the the blackest of darkness uh, where, where the soul just questions everything and he cries in his diaries but he can't see that this is uh that the outer and the inner didn't resonate with each other so uh, it, it's no surprising then that people 2023 or next year 2024 when this will be broadcasted believe that now alchemy is either the, it's the inner transformation now alchemy is the outer ma manifestation of, of transmutations and transformations and no going back to the sources it is both and it's really in this uh, meeting point between the individual and the, the outer world and, or the individual and the collective where the alchemical opus really manifests itself where every human has the possibility yeah. as katrina said to achieve the impossible to create and transmute the immortal body of consciousness i agree <laughs> not often but <laughs> you have people sometimes who come to your classes and workshops and courses who really just want one side of it like, oh i don't want to have to smelt copper and make salt can i can i just do inner transformation practice can i work in the inner level somehow or do you have people say oh i don't want to have to deal with all that you know i want to uh, get my bunsen burner out and so on do you have people who lean in one direction and the other uh quite strongly or do most people who come to you recognize the importance of this both the inner and the outer and want to wed them together i think many people that come to us they don't know why they have this strong feeling that they should do this and they don't really know why so it's not always that they have studied so much alchemy but they we can feel that they have uh, they have, have alchemy in their blood from maybe another lifetime. I don't know. And uh, so they are quite open to, to, to what, what we are learning them and what we are doing. Uh, but we, we are quite early in the process. We some, do this fundamental teaching what, what alchemy is and it's within and without. So they, you know uh in the beginning they know what what our uh, uh job is with them in the alchemical ed education i think but i think people are quite wise now i don't know if it's people coming to to us but i think you know i've been working with alchemy for 35 years now so so it's a big difference. I started at the university. It was so strange to, to work with alchemy and take alchemy into the un university. And then people thought it was very, very odd. But now people are quite, you know, interested in, and uh, have much more understanding and wisdom uh, during the last 15 years, I think. So... What do you think? Do they come and want to do the outer or inner? I don't know. No, I I think we are uh, quite lucky with this, this, uh, many students we have uh, throughout the years, and they are 
as excited to whatever we are presenting and and we say okay now this weekend will be uh, we will all do um, manifest our understanding into elixirs and they say wow wonderful next time yeah okay we're going to work with this uh, alchemical stone as a stage of consciousness to be uh, manifested wow wonderful uh, so I think the people uh, that don't come uh, to to our courses and workshops <laughs> they are, are are much more uh, uh, well I'm not sure what they're doing but it's not alchemy because they, uh, I don't see them uh, doing this or I don't see them doing that uh, but those people uh, never come to lectures they never come to to workshops because their idea of alchemy uh, they can't get it to resonate with the way we present alchemy uh, and it's also a protectionist aspect to it and and i think every tradition has that 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 uh, regardless of western or eastern traditions uh, whether esoteric or exoteric traditions if you have one way of presenting and doing it you know you have at least 100 or 1000 different ways of presenting it and 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 uh, uh, teaching it and and uh, people become protectionist of their own way of uh, how they were taught or the way they understand it and they uh, quite often don't want much hmm. but also it's not a big country or not many people in sweden so so it's not been, you know, we have different alchemical educations. It's it's this is what Sweden have right now. So, but another thing that is important, it's we want to to teach and uh, alchemy in a dogmatic way, because uh, I and we find it very important that you it's an experimental tradition. So you have to you have to experiment with. Uh, with the tradition, with the wisdom, with the herbs, or with your subtle bodies, and then you will see uh, what that will lead to. So, it, so it's a gnostic tradition in that way. You have to get your own insights. You have to get your own heart to flame, and and experiment and see what happens. And in that uh, uh, in that way, we use imagination a lot. Uh, like the 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 star of the soul, and when you work in your inner or the room between the inner and outer with imagination, you can see that you work with your karma and things outside in your cosmic drama outside world will change. Not because we say it's very good will alchemy, but because they do the works and work with the energies and 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 the inner drama, and then they can see oh. This is the result because of experiment. And we also say we can do experiment. It doesn't have to go well. So that's another thing. You can <laughs> fail. And, and if you have you know, homework, please come and fail, but get, get your heart into it. Be creative and try, and then we will see what happens. And we don't work with this like Norden uh, Sjöld, so we don't work with this big oven that will, will explode. So you, you can, uh, in that way, try a little bit more. So it's not, you know, this or that way you should do it. It's a gnostic experimental way. And I think that is why alchemy is so fun, at least for me. 
because you have, can be creative and you can even uh, uh, man, develop, develop uh, uh, every person develop the alchemical tradition when we work together or, or each one of us so it's uh, that's Mm. And, mm. and uh, I think what I thought about uh, when you were explaining this is that every uh, alchemical uh, workshop and, and uh, lecture etc we have will be different depending on the audience because it needs to be this uh, collaboration between the egregore of the tradition, our understanding which obviously is different today than it was yesterday and the the people listening uh, to it and and trying to uh, integrate it into their own lives so uh mm. even though we have the same blueprint we never have two lectures that are i would say not even similar they, they are quite dissimilar and we have noticed that now when we uh, uh we have a three-year course in in alchemy and we have also that as an option to go online and take that course so we, we recorded a lecture uh, one day and then uh, one week later we have the, that same lecture with the, the group that we are working together with and it became a completely different lecture so it needs to take that into consideration also that that we're not teaching a dogma we are teaching uh, and, and trying to convey keys where each practitioner can utilize that depending on where they are in their life and focus on the most important aspects in the, the, their life. And that, that's the way we wrote the book. Uh, we wrote, wrote it really to, to, or it became the book that we wanted to be able to read 25, 30 years ago. Mm. Uh, it, wasn't available so we had to go the extremely long path and we had to do many trials and errors both with outward practices and with inward practices and then we when when we met in 2005 i came from a tradition of alchemy and magic in the initiatoric secret societies and katarina came from a more uh, background in in uh, drama and Theater, yeah. Theater. So during one year, we, we we met once every week for three and a half to four hours and argued. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, most of the times after three hours of arguing about cer uh, certain things, uh, any one of us just realized, oh, when you are speaking about the sun, are you actually meaning this? I say, yeah, of course. The sun is this. Oh, no, because the sun is that for me. Mm. And we realized that, okay, we have been trained and uh, learned how to incorporate and utilize the alchemical symbols, but from two different traditions and from an outward perspective, they are in conflict until we realize that it's only our way of inter interpreting the symbols that... Uh, are different but that's also why why uh, you can read 10 different alchemy books uh, regardless of when they were written and they will not say the same thing they will say one say that salt is the body and another uh, book will say no salt is the soul 
And I'm sure there is a third one that will say salt is the spirit. And uh, so from an outward perspective, they seem to be in conflict, but that's just the way they were being taught and uh, uh, learned how to utilize it. But there is an underlying pattern that uh, is unifying and is actually speaking about the same thing. But that's uh, one of the trickeries in alchemy. Uh, and that's why we were asked with the Swedish edition that can't you just have a, a glossary at the end of the book? Have, okay, this alchemical term equals this. And I said, well, that's what we did with the book. But but each term, uh, each alchemical term takes a chapter to define, mm. uh, to 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 uh, not only convey the philosophical idea, but also to give implications of how this can be utilized and experimented with, uh, so that consciousness, soul, body, and spirit can live in it. Then we can't have this always means that. Fascinating. I think you mentioned before, perhaps people are getting wiser, they're coming to you better informed. I'm sure your work has something to do with that also. This book, Alchemy, the divine work, and your website, actually, your academy website is full of very clear and well thought out, well crafted language. So thank you for uh, for that. Yeah, and uh, hopefully the English section of that website will be much, much improved. Uh, very, very soon. Uh, so, so it's a balance between the Swedish one and the English one. Uh, and uh, yeah, we have some work to do there. Mm. <laughs> okay. We can take some elixir yeah. in between. So cheers. Yeah. <laughs> cheers. I'm out of elixir, I'm afraid. Oh, I've got a little drop left. Cheers. <laughs> so, uh, right. Okay, I have one more, I suppose, geeky historical question before we turn a little bit more to application. And that is, you know, you mentioned again. Oh, sorry. It's all right. Is in the, in the dark? No. Like... No. I'm always in the dark. Okay. You mentioned the influence of Greek philosophy. And in the book, you use the uh, fre fresco by Raphael, the School of Athens, yes. which I've seen in the Vatican. Actually, I've seen the uh, I've seen it there. It's quite striking. With Aristotle pointing to the earth and Plato pointing to the heavens, and you make a very interesting point about that. I'm wondering if you might say something about more about the influence of Greek philosophy on the alchemical tradition. What did it bring to it and what and its different schools what did they bring and how were they perhaps in turn influenced by that contact themselves well i think uh, the, the most obvious ones is our understanding of the four philosophical elements uh, how everything is composed out of fire water air and, and earth and uh, the quintessence of that being the the ether uh, so that is very traceable, but we also see the, the, the Greek philosophers trying to understand what is the true origin of everything, what, what is the prima materia, uh, uh, and, and some philosophers said it, it must be fire, uh, 
And another said, no, it must be water. And and uh, is it? Uh, and and we have the whole uh, idea of the atom. How do you pronounce it? The How do you spell it? Atom. Uh, the nuclear. What's it called? Nucleus. <laughs> oh, atom. 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 <laughs> atom. Yeah. Uh, uh, so. Uh, the, the, you see many ideas of alchemy uh, tracing it back to the Greek uh, philosophers, trying to understand what could be the uh, first element of creation. And fr from the Christian perspective, they would say that the first element is light. And, and you have other alchemists that, that also argue that, yeah, the, the first is the looks, it's the divine light. And from the divine light, we have light and darkness. We have the, the uh, division uh, and, and uh, duality of creation. And from that duality, we have the three alchemical uh, principles. And from those three alchemical principles, we have the four philosophical elements. And then we have the tetra, uh, tetractus of the uh, uh, Greek philosophers. So they were obviously... Alchemists were extremely impressed and influenced by the Greek philosophers and continue that idea of trying to understand both within and without how creation came to be. Yeah. And if you also go back to like Pythagoras, you can see he was a, he was an alchemist, I would say, because he he's um he 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 thought to to get a map over the consciousness or the different levels of consciousness like we have now in the string theory he was the one you know to 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 start that movement that we can go from one consciousness to another and the mathematics see that we have this constants in the universe that when we like, go into these archetypes we can understand and see beyond the wheel uh, you know before creation so in many ways the early uh, philosophers in, in Greece were alchemists I would say and we also have to remember before we go go further in in history, that a true philosopher is someone loving Sophia. That's the meaning of the word. And, and philosophy in, in history has been this logos-oriented tradition. But in the beginning, if you don't give yourself to the goddess Sophia or the alchemical goddess Sophia, you can't get these clues or go behind this wheel. So, so alchemy and the the early philosoph the early philosophers were very similar and and uh, we have alchemists in the philosophical tradition as well and i think uh, when we uh, see the greek philosophers and and obviously it's uh, very exemplified by uh, plato and aristoteles where no, the truth is up, up there no the truth is down here mm. it's here our focus now, that's the, the world of ideas. That's the, the, the true essence. And alchemists say, yeah, it is both. both. Mm. And uh, all, all other Greek philosophers are, re, re, are sort of in an interplay between the above and the below that uh, Plato and Aristotle is really um, 
separated. So uh, for, for modern alchemists, uh, all Greek philosophers are extremely beneficial to study and, and uh, contemplate and meditate upon because they all carries, uh, they all carry gems of truth without anyone being able to to claim the title of the truth. Fascinating. Thank you. And I think a bridge, one of the bridges between what we're talking about here, this historical and the philosophy and application, although it's sort of almost constantly both anyway, is the cosmogony, the alchemical ideas of how things came to be. Mm. You've, hinted, you've hinted at that. You go into that in quite some detail mm. in certain chapters of the book. I wonder if you might say something about the way in which cosmogony is viewed in the alchemical or has been viewed in the alchemical traditions. Yes. I, I think it's running through the whole book. So yes. it's not so easy to, you know, you must just pinpoint. But when we talked about this uh, polarity, that uh, started creation. It's also this from the unity and then this duality. And as Tommy said, then we have the three principles and the four. So that's the ground and the foundation, this tetractus through all the uh, alchemical work, I think. Uh, and um, what's interesting is when, when you want to come back to source or oneness or the whole, you can do it by combining the four elements and get the fifth element, the quintessentia, highly quintessence. But you can also do it by combining the three principles, salt, uh, sulfur, and uh, mercury, and also get an al alchemical wedding. Or you can work with the polarities. So that's why it's, it's not, you know, <laughs> uh, you can do it in many different ways. And it can be a small alchemical wedding, or the, it, it can be the alchemical wedding. But every time you you get back to oneness or source or this uh, primordial light, it's an alchemical wedding. And that's what the whole book is trying to convey, uh, the history and philosophy, and then how to do it to be one with source again. And I think uh, our, our personal view is that alchemy is really a, a meta-philosophical uh, system and understanding and can, can be applied to any kind of religion or science and has been applied to any kind of uh, religious or scientific ideas and beliefs. And I think uh, from if we, we utilize very much of the Christian tradition. We also utilize very much of, of the Gnostic tradition, of the, the Egyptian tradition and, and the Greek tradition. But another way of explaining alchemy for a modern person today who may be an atheist is that everything started from this primordial matter aeons and aeons and aeons ago and this primordial matter that was the prima materia of everything contained everything as a possibility but hadn't been manifested so this point sort of uh, 
Yeah, th th this point withdraw into itself until it exploded and created the universe, created creation. So this prima materia is the star dust that we billions years later are a manifestation of. So from that alchemical understanding, we are all here because of this alchemical transformations and transmutations that has not only developed stars and star systems and planets, but also uh, living beings and the huge miracle of consciousness, which science cannot explain what it is or how it, uh, why it came into. There are different ideas, and certain of those ideas may actually be better described from religious or uh, ideas or other philosophical ideas. But we can see that we now are, are running very fast through the, the space on this tiny planet as an alchemical huge experiment, trying to understand our position in creation in the cosmos and our relationship between everything else so that's another way of, of describing how everything started from one singularity mm. and manifested in duality through the three principles and the four elements and we can also do it quite easy <laughs> because it's it's a fundamental principle that we haven't been talking about yet and that is the principle of love, love. <laughs> And then you can see if you have this primordial source or godhead that is love, if you don't can if you don't uh, express the love, it will be self-love, and then it can't be this uh, uh, all-encompassing love. So just you have love, and love want to express, and then we have creation. So that's also a. Um, I think an important principle to 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 emphasize in alchemy we have this secret fire going through whole the alchemical divine work and this secret is the principle of love actually and how we get to know this principle and how we unite with the divine love and then how we can express and transform this earth to uh, Gaia being the philosopher's stone or the stone of the wise. So it can it can be quite, you know, simple also, sometimes alchemy, if we just come back to love. And some Greek philosophers would agree with yeah. that. <laughs> the love of Sophia. <laughs> when you mention uh, those various traditions, I think of Gnosticism, and it's it's various manifestations and um, one or a couple of points of variation in those different ideas of Gnosticism is is the earth or matter this fundamentally a good thing or a bad thing is the soul the person fundamentally a good thing or a bad or life fundamentally a good thing or a bad thing is it a prison or paradise is the is the the soul inside good or bad how does alchemy see that 
particular matrix, it's a matrix I think that's used sometimes to analyze the Gnostic traditions, and particularly and other dualistic religions too, like Manichaeism and so on. Yeah, um, yeah, has a very pos positive, uh, positive view of, of uh, creation, and because uh, the fundament is also that the body or the matter or the and the soul and the spirit are all the same things. It's just different uh, expressions on different levels of consciousness. So that's why, you know, uh, the earth or the body can't be negative because it's the same uh, spirit just uh, expressed differently. So that's why uh, Alkim has this positive view on creation and also on our, uh, the human possibility to transform earth to this stone or device. But when we speak about Gnostic traditions, it's a very big, you know, difference between them. We have this negative view of, of uh, creation and then we want, they want to explode the earth. And we have this uh, tradition that sees that it's not fundamental a du duality. We work with dualities, but in the end, all is one. So, so it's not easy when you say Gnostic, you know, Obviously, alchemy is much more related to the hermetic uh, tradition mm. and the corpus hermeticum in various ways. Uh, we do include uh, Gnostic work because even though we here in Sweden, we, we are probably the most uh, the, the less, least religious country in the world, uh, we still have the archetypes of Christianity uh, that we were brought up with. And we, we have the uh, Protestant uh, tradition that is not always uh, positive in relation to how to view humanity and, and uh, uh, humanity's ability to come to know and unite with divinity or the Godhead. So... Uh, the Gnostic traditions are extremely useful to utilize in seeing that things that we are have been brought up with that we have never questioned because we don't consider ourselves to be religious people. Okay, well, 1500 years ago or 2000 years ago, they actually turned everything on a plate and said that, well, the, the Adam and Eve didn't sin. That was the uh, uh, an apocalypse that uh, they gained consciousness. So the serpent wasn't uh, an instrument for evil or, or the devil. Mm. That was something that brought uh, about an awakening. And then we start realizing that we have all seen the children uh, books uh, when we were uh, small and we are so old, so we actually had to go to churches, especially on over Christmas and certain holidays, and and so much of that. Not me, but okay. <laughs> you went to churches when I was small, no, hardly not. But I was grown up in a very non-spiritual family, so okay. Uh, but in school, yeah, in yeah. school. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> so then, then the Gnostic traditions can actually be a way for us to, to understand that we are still ruled or controlled by certain patterns going generations and generations back. And uh, uh, 
it's not conscious for us because we don't consider ourselves religious or uh, Christians in that sense, but we're still uh, governed by them or, or in, inspired in the best sense, but uh, more probably uh, it, it creates some idea of uh, division within ourselves that that yeah there was something bad with, with the first man and, uh, and and woman and that's why we're all living in sin and of course mm -hmm. al alchemy in in the uh when, when you read alchemy books in the 15 and 1600s they had to spend the first majority of the book trying to explain that matter is not bad you have the burning bush in the Old Testament. You have uh, God being manifesting uh, itself through various materialized ways to uh, talk with human beings. So matter can't be bad in itself. And, and we see that uh, they, they had to, to spend 50 or 100 pages uh, uh, on a book to, to explain that to people that then were being taught by the church that the body was awful. You, you can't uh, do things with your body because then you're going to sin. And, and, and uh, the only thing you can do is pray to God and perhaps you will come to an afterlife or otherwise you will come to, to other places uh, beyond death. And there was really nothing more you can do it, uh, with it so uh, it was used as a way to to imprison for, uh, people to uh, ma uh, make suffering explainable and and the possibility of of, of a eventual relief perhaps and Although we are not taught in that same way, we still have this these archetypes in uh, the the Western consciousness about the original sin and fall, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I just want to say now also that we also work with the Christian uh, tradition. So <laughs> even though we we work with the Gnostic and Egyptians, we also work a lot with the, with Christian tradition and see the whole Bible with uh, alchemical glasses. And then we can see that the story with Jesus and Mary Magdalene from the beginning to end convey the whole alchemical opus magnum. So it's not, we are not pro or against any religion or tradition. We use them as living gospels and living metaphors that we can gain insight and gain uh, knowledge from. And then we can do it with Gnostic, Christian, Eastern, uh, whatever. That is a good, uh, good way to describe transformation of human being and transformation of life, actually. I agree. <laughs> <You> agree? <laughs> because well it's easy, you know, to to look at this dogmatic, but but yeah, uh, we love the esoteric tradition in every religion. Actually, we do. We do. <laughs> we do. <laughs> <laughs> this has been so fascinating. Thank you. Um, you mentioned before a sort of stage of darkness where the practitioner. May have many doubts and 
may become quite depressed, may even lose connection to the inspiration of the path and this sort of thing. And that's one of uh, several stages you outline in the book mm. that the uh, alchemist moves through. I wonder if you might give a sense of these stages and the progression through them. This idea of passing through stages, of course, it's in many traditions, many mm. uh, religious and med uh, contemplative traditions, and particularly this stage of a, a dark night, so to say. Um, it, it seems to be a recurring idea. Uh, could you say something about the stages the alchemist goes through as you describe them in your book? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes, we can just start with saying that we haven't been speaking about it now, but uh, the book and the magnum opus is, we have these four different stages. We go from the black to the white, to the yellow, to the red. It's Nigredo, Albedo, Citrinitas, and Rubedo. And in ev when, when every phase are going to another stage or another phase, we have these dark nights, we can say. Yeah. But uh, I, I think before going into the four stages, we have one common factor that I think anyone can recognize, and that's the... the in alchemy, it's called the mercurial fire. It's when we are completely filled with passion, with lust, with love. We want to explore this new, wonderful tradition. We want to understand tarot cards or alchemy, or we want to understand the meditation techniques or this or astrology or that or geomancy or ritual magic or whatever. And we believe that this... I've read some books about it. I've seen some documentaries. Oh, this is the key to the mysteries. So we are filled with this complete, pure passion or alchemical fire that is necessary for us to actually take this huge step out into the unknown or within into our unknown. So we start reading, we start doing, learning the basic practices and principles. We, we learn, start learning how to meditate and, and we start learning some alchemical symbols and trying to integrate them. And we just feel, oh, this is wonderful. I don't know everything yet, but this is, I can really see how this will change my life forever. And sooner or later, that will turn into the complete opposite. We will, where we once were filled with this passion, with love, with lust, we mm. suddenly feel that I'm just aching. The body's aching, my soul is aching, my oh. spirit is being bored, or I can't even feel or sense my spirit any longer. And that's when we enter into this negredo state, the, the black state or stage in alchemy, where we have to look within ourselves and see everything within ourselves that we have tried to escape from. And sadly, most of the times when we start esoteric work or esoteric practices, we want to escape from the person we are or the person we have become in relationship to parents, to, to our environment, because we want to see something else. We want to see beyond the veils. We want to open ourselves to creation. And then we are stuck in the prisons within where nothing uh, has a positive effect 
any longer. Everything that happened yesterday or the day, a week before, or the months before, now I can't sense divinity. I can't sense this passion within me. The only thing I feel or see is darkness. And we feel completely alone. We can feel it. <laughs> and I, I think everyone who's listening to this has been through that mm -hmm. because it doesn't matter what kind of esoteric tradition uh, we emerge into, we will sooner or later realize that we have to open or ignite ourselves from the within. And the only thing we see then is the darkness that we have tried to suppress through Hmm. ages and gener generations perhaps but if we endure if we believe in our teacher or tutor or in the tradition uh, or in the divine we may be able to light up this darkness and see because the darkness serves a purpose it wants us to ask the questions who am I why am I here? What's the meaning of life? What's beyond life? Is death the end? What's, from the alchemical perspective, what's the meaning of nature? How do I collaborate with other human beings? How do I collaborate with divinity if I believe in divinity? And that's the first dark night. And we call it the dark night of the mind, because it's mostly that you have to, to, to you know, expand and see that that's more than this, uh, this uh, material world we are living in. That's more to life than go to work and you know, uh, Tommy expressed it so well here. It's more to life. So that's when the mind have to to crack broke broke apart to 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 get in touch with this little 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 uh, spirit light we have within, and we can find it first in this darkness as we go down 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 deeper in the in a dark sea, and then we can can see little lights that are the the foundation to the problems we have in this life, and and one important thing is this that we think this is it this is the end, but it's so much more, and when that comes through we can go through this dark night of the mind and get to the ne next stage that is the albedo, the white face, where we start to see spirit, where we start to reach out for the divine, that where everything is possible. It's this where you, you start to work with tarot and uh, angels and spirits and you can do everything astral travels and so on so you you go up from earth to see all that is around you but we have a problem even here in this white face albedo that is you want to leave the darkness you want to leave the earth you want to leave the people that are bad or not good. So it's get a very big separation be, be, between good and evil. And when this separation breaks apart, you can say, then you get into the dark night 
of the soul, the famous now one, you know it from uh, St. John of the Cross and, and lots of uh, Eastern uh, traditions expression also. So then, then the soul almost dies. All that you have gained through your work, through your meditations and uh, all, all you have done have, has to die. It's like your soul is dying and you can't see anything uh, of light in this uh, dark night of the soul. And the only positive thing about it, I think, it's mostly not just one year or you know 10 years or one month it comes and goes and that's why we can see we walk up and down down through uh, on this uh, jacob's ladder when we walk up we see the light when we walk down we get humility and go down to earth again and feel this darkness and then we have to go up and down and up and down all the way until we get to be a servant of divine yes and and obviously the, it, it, you emphasize more more the darkened aspects of, of this white face I, I i think because when we enter into the white face of albedo it's liberation we are completely free from matter we're not trapped in our body we're not trapped in our mind we have the possibilities to explore everything uh, within and without and if but when people get stuck in the first black face of Negredo, they tend to go into, the, they start to abuse drugs or abuse certain things to, to avoid the, the big questions. What am I? What's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of everything I do? So they actually stop doing any kind of esoteric work. Whereas in, in the white wonderful face, they also stop doing work within a tradition when they start sensing that there is even darkness in this light phase but that darkness must be because of this tradition so i'm choosing another tradition and i go through the same thing until i start sensing that there is darkness also there you were also dark <laughs> Yeah, but I wanted to have the positive. <laughs> I wanted to have the positive as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but uh, the, the the white face of Albedo is is uh, really uh, blissful. Blissful, mm. and and you really see the golden dawn. It's uh, the, the dawn of creation. It's the dawn of humanity, and and you want to explain this dawn to every one of your friends. You start YouTube channels. You start having workshops, lectures, explaining this to other people because that's part of your learning process. Mm. Uh, and in alchemy, that's really far beyond the end of it, because now you have the soul and spirit working very much. And you, you can obviously have the Logos aspect and the Sophie aspect, but it's really about transcending matter, transcending the body. And then you ground yourself and, okay, now I've done this meditation, or I've done this ritual, and, and now I continue with my life. But in uh, alchemy, we have the yellow face of Citrinitas, where this soul that has united and married spirit, and as Katerina said, that can only happen if the soul actually gives up mm. and dies. 
which is the dark night of the soul, to become a soul spirit. Then you could see that uh, many exoteric traditions say that, well, you're done. That's perfect. Now you can just live uh, and fly with the angels and, and uh, wait for this uh, physical life to end. So in that way, it's a more of a bodhisattva ideal, the alchemical tradition. Now you have to go back to Earth. Uh, you're not a bodhisattva at this stage, but it's it's the ideal that you have to come back all the time to Earth. So we have the Sitvinitas stage, yeah. And then you have the soul spirits sim symbolically descending into matter, into the body to start transforming the body from within to without, so that there will again be a union and meeting between soul, spirit and body, or soul, spirit and matter. Uh, a huge transformation process, and we can see those indications in both Western and Eastern traditions in various uh, tantric traditions or sexual magic uh, traditions where the body is actually utilized and you can sense how many energy currents that can be vivified or, or enlivened by the soul spirit, and especially if you're working with another person or, or within context where you as a human work with divinity it's really to to regenerate the body and start the the transformation and transmutation process but it's not even ending there and and the, the big difference between the first two black and white face and this third and uh, coming fourth face is that the first two tends to be more uh, microcosmic it's within me. Everything is within me. And, and uh, obviously that's not a problem because do I need to explore the universe? Yeah, I can do that in my mind. Everything is contained within me. Whereas in the Citrinitas, the yellow face and uh, the red face of Rubira, we can't only work with the microcosm. We have to include the macrocosmic, macrocosm realities in our work. And then it's quite interesting because when you work with negative energies, you always want to know, is it mine or is it a projection or where does it come if, where does it come from? But in the Citrinta's phase, it doesn't matter. It's a negative energy and someone has to do it. So it can be me if I'm, if I'm capable. So it's a big shift in that way uh, from uh, you, you, you have learned this projection, but even if there is a projection or if it's not a projection, it doesn't matter because someone has to do the transformation because in alchemy, nothing is bad per se because everything is energy. And if we, we try to get away with, with the negative energy or the dark energy or the evil, we lose energy. So we try to transform and transfigurate the energy all the time. And in, in this uh, yellow phase, uh, we do it even for others. It doesn't matter. So that's why it's also a collective work in a much more broader sense, you can say. But we have to come to, to the end before it's closing time here. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um the more you actually incorporate the soul spirit and uh, have it work, within the body as your temple from within to without, 
then truly realizing that it's no different. The outside and the inside are complete true mirrors of themselves. So if I do good deeds, but I have impure thoughts, then that will be completely infectious. And uh, in in the white face of Albedo, we realize that if I do something, or if I don't do something, that will affect consciousness. Whereas in Citrinitas, you have to be responsible for your thoughts. It's not only your actions, but your thoughts and emotions will uh, either impregnate some uh, the, the light or the darkness, you could say. So it becomes even more important to understand how the soul has both the light and the dark aspects to it, the, the positive and the negative sides to it. So uh, the the projections become a huge learning tool that every time we see something in another being, we realize that that doesn't say anything about that person. It only says something about me, what I have to focus and work within, either to emphasize a light aspect or purify a dark aspect within me so that we can go from the yellow to marry the whole of creation in the red face where we symbolically want to give birth to a new stage of consciousness or a new state of consciousness. And uh, this we go into quite detail about in, in the book, mm. the various states of consciousness, but that can perhaps be, uh, we can do in a, in a this was a short following uh, po yeah. podcast. Yeah. But, but uh, the, the red work is about the manifestation of your understanding of your ideas. It's for us, uh, the, the red work was partly uh, publishing the, the book that becomes then the prima materia of the reader uh, that can uh, take the gems from the book, not as a dog, but only what works for that person and start their own or continue the, their mm. alchemical journey. So everything gives birth to something else in a continuous ebb and flow yeah. of creation. So this red face or rubedo is also in the end when it's more manifest, it's a solar body or the golden body. So here's here we have the gold in the end. And it's the same as this immortal body or diamond body. It's the consciousness that are um, whole. And you can, through it, go through different levels of creation without going into sleep or... Um, what is, what heter det? Glömska. Forgetfulness. Forgetfulness. So it's awaken, awakened uh, consciousness that are whole. That's why it's not subject to uh, separation and distortion. Hmm? This was the end. <laughs> <laughs> and and the, the, the beauty of the way we see it is that uh, just going with, with these four alchemical phases and the mercurial fire, you can apply them to any kind of aspect of your life either as as, uh, as your journey throughout life, where we become more and more conscious and, and uh, about ourselves and, and the mm -hmm. way we interact with, with uh, creation or with any kind of 
uh, creative project has to go through and will go through these same four phases. Mm. So, so uh, just to summarize that, when we, if you're writing a book or painting uh, uh, a picture, mm. a painting, you have this divine inspiration, you have an idea of what you want to do, and you start collecting the necessary material for it. And the more you collect it and you start work, and you, oh, it's the first sentence of the book. How do I start the first sentence of the book? And oh, does the world really need another book? And you go through this darkness of, of questioning why you're doing the, the, that. And then in a dream, you have this realization, the book will open like this. And you start writing the first sentence and this first chapter just flows. Or you have the painting and it's just starting to come alive. And it's just, oh, you can always sense the end product Yes, quite early on, but it's just pure passion again. You're free from boundaries. And then you eventually come to the yellow stage where it's not completed, but it's almost completed. So you have to do the most scaring thing you can do. You show it to another person and say, well, what do you think of it? The red here is rubedo and, and the sun is, is gold. And you go like, yeah, it could My be centralized. Mind. And <laughs> have you really, and it's like a sword in your breast because this is your pure baby you're showing to the first person in the world. Mm -hmm. And a thought or a word can kill this baby. And you're experiencing agony and doubt and fear again until you realize that, okay, you actually had some good points. I can change that chapter. I could So, so every sword is, you know, a possibility to refine the work within and with the project. So that's why we have also the likeness of Herodes with the, with the child, killing the child in the Bible is the same thing. We kill all our childs within, but we have one child left that no one can can kill, and that is the divine child. And it's the same. You, you can you know get all this criticism and all and so on, but when you feel that this is this is my soul manifested, I get it out. It, it doesn't matter. What, what everyone thinks. So that is the end product or the, the red face in the opus. And then it takes on a life yeah. of its own. Yeah. Like any creative work, whether books, paintings, music, whatever. And then each listener or reader are able and free to interpret it in their own ways. Mm -hmm. And that's wonderful, beautiful and scary. I hope it's possible to understand a little bit about this uh, divine work. <laughs> yes, so fascinating and so beautifully explained. Thank you both. Uh, this has been great. We must do a sequel. I'll petition you now for a sequel. There's still many things we could cover. For example, the practices that you describe in the book, contemplation, meditation and imagination and so on. And, that's uh, fascinating, and I think we could have a very interesting discussion about that. And I'm also curious, we didn't get to it, about your own journeys in this material. Maybe that's an interesting theme as well. But anyway, 
Congratulations, I'd like to finish by saying, on the publication of the English version of Alchemy, the Divine Work. Available now, it's really quite a read. Well done, and Katarina Falkenberg and Tommy Westland, thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you so much. So happy to meet you also. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to another Guru Viking podcast. For more interviews like these, as well as articles, videos, and guided meditations, visit www.guruviking.com.